0: Okay, good morning, how are you? As everyone may know, uh, pastors in California, um, got a couple of family members that are struggling, uh, especially his brother, uh, who's been very, very sick. And uh, the pastor's out consoling him and... uh... Give me one second. So the the pastor's out there consoling him and... uh, doing everything he can to, to, to bring him to, to the Lord. Um, so if you can hold them in prayer there. All right. So a few weeks ago, the folks from CareNet were here, and they, um, they pointed out that we're between Mother's Day and, 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 and Father's Day. And when I heard that, it, it made me think about, you know, um, it'd be nice to talk about values, Because mom and dad is kind of where our values start. You know, those are the first people that we get our values from. And uh, so what I'd like to talk about today is, you know, what do we value in our hearts? And what should we value? And why should we do that? And also, um, what are some of the dangers when we value the wrong things? And what can happen? Where does that lead us to? Uh, So I thought, what better place to start than God's values? Um, There's a lot of them, but, uh, you know, he gave us ten basic ones in which he tried to teach us, you know, uh, and I I use the word try because he he attempts to, and we, of course, always fight that. But uh, God tries to teach us things, and and as long as we're willing and receptive, then, um, you know, we move forward a little bit. Um, So, but we're not always as open as we, we should be, really. Uh, we always like to think, I, you know, I got it under control. I'm, I'm all set. Don't need any help. So with that, let's turn to Exodus 20, uh, which is right in the beginning, the very beginning. It's like the second book. Um, and, and I'm going to spend most of the time on a couple of key items. But we'll, we'll talk about all of, all 10 of the commandments just to kind of get us started. So if we get to Exodus 20, if I can get there myself, um, what I'd like to do is go down to verse 17. Okay, we're going to start at the bottom on number 10. And, and God said... You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, or donkey or ox, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And what I'm thinking there is God's basically saying, hey, respect what isn't yours. In other words, if it's, if it's not yours, don't pine for it. Don't, don't try to obtain it, even in your mind. Um, so then if we move up one, we go to number nine, it says, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Respect the truth. Well, if you think about that, the truth is yours. In other words, it's your story. You know, anything else is somebody else's story. A lie is not yours. It's something else. So you know, when I think about that, I, I think of, again, you know, respect what's not yours. If we move up the next verse, you sh- thou shalt not steal. Again, another—you know, we're seeing a trend here. Respect what's not yours to take. Don't take away someone else's. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, not yours. There's a, there's a theme here. There's a trend. Thou shalt not murder. Again, respecting life but more importantly, you're respecting someone else's life. It's not, not your life. It's someone else's. And a, a, as we started, honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land of the Lord. That, I'm sorry, in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, respect your teacher. Um, you know, the parents are the, are the first to teach the, their infant children. And then from there they go to God's teachings and the schools and, and other things. But it's the parents that start it all. And then when we get to the top four commandments, all four of those are about respecting God. So the bottom six, the last six, are about respecting other people's things or things that aren't yours. And the top four is about, about respecting God so if you look at number 4 it says remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a sabbath to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor your foreign nor any foreigner residing in your towns for in six days the lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blesseth the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, make time to give honor, make time to remember God, to honor God, not to be all distracted. And that's what we're going to talk a lot more about in a little bit. This is kind of a segue into what I'm really going to go over. So if we go to the third commandment says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So again, respect. You're respecting his name, his holiness, everything that he's about. So you, you don't want to get distracted and you forget that. Of course, the more distracted you get, the more you slide away. Now, the top two are very similar and again, this is really about honoring God. But I think more importantly, it's, it's God giving us some kind of, of a warning that says, don't be fooled, don't be foolish. So the second commandment, God tells us, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commandments. And then, again, that segues right into the first commandment. It says, you shall have no other God before me And then I think it drives home, if you go down to verse 23, which is just a little lower, it says, Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. And I go back to what I was th- you know, thinking of a little earlier, which was, I am a jealous God. Well, what's God jealous of? Jealous of what? Uh, if God, God is everything, has no equal, What's to be jealous of? It's like you being jealous of an ant. And you're not going to run, yeah, that, you know, that ant's really got me nerved up. You know, God's not going to be nervous of anything. So, so what's God saying there when he says, I'm a jealous God? And, and I think what he's saying there is it's not, it's not being used in the same way that we think of jealousy. I think God's trying to help us understand that we don't want to go down a slippery slope where we start with fascination usually. Things interest us. We have something that we really are excited about. And that fascination can easily morph and continue to grow into an obsession. And, and that's really what I want to talk about today is all that. And if you think of that, I mean, it happens all the time, right? People, people do it with TV shows. Okay, or with other people. You know that wow, Moorstrok. That's they're a star. You know. They do they even do it with their pets. They they get obsessed with them. They have to have special things, little jackets with the initials on it, and and we do it with pastimes. We become obsessed with building a model plane or or build, even a puzzle. You know, we get obsessed with it. And And that's what happens to the point where we get snappy even. We say, don't bother me. I'm in the middle of, I'm watching NCIS. Don't talk to me. Okay, so God tells us sternly, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whether it's sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desire or greed, which is what I'm talking about. In this passage, he says, in greed, which is idolatry. So you see, the message is very clear. Don't get obsessed with things. Don't get distracted. What I think God really boils down to is saying, hey, smarten up, people. God knows that we we don't know when to stop. We get carried away, and we just keep getting drawn into it more more and more and more and more. We don't realize how far we get. So God wants us to be careful because all these things you're obsessed with are just shallow and they're temporary. They only have value because we give them value. They're valuable to us, but not necessarily by themselves. And um, I'm going to bring out the properties before. About a year ago, I did a session. I said, how about a $20 bill? Why is this worth $20? Is it because it's got the little two zero up in the corner? Well no, it's it's worth twenty dollars because the person we give it to believes it's worth twenty dollars. That's why. If they didn't believe it, it wouldn't be worth anything. But that's true at anything in the world. They only have value because we believe they have value. I mean if you take this twenty dollar bill, okay, and give it to somebody who was adrift in a in a rowboat for a week, they'd rather have a little thimble of water than that twenty dollar bill. So how much value does it really have? It only has value when we give it value. So that's the point I want to make, is the things of this world only have value that we provide. And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of examples of that. But what's different is God has intrinsic value. God's value is built in. Intrinsic self-contained. It doesn't need, doesn't need any outside influence. It's all within. Everything else on the earth is outside value. There has no, no value inside. So, we don't give God value. God has his own value. We give value to everything else. So, what's some more reasons that God warns us about idols and being obsessed with things and obsessions? And, and I'm not just talking about the golden calf. Okay, this is all kinds of things. At least it could even be a puzzle, because what we own actually owns us. Okay, and that's that's one of those things I think people forget is the more things you own, or the bigger or more elaborate things you own, the more they own you. Why? Because one, we feel really connected to these things, so we're very defensive of them. We want to protect them. We go out of our way to you know, shelter them from things, okay? And, and it can be, like I said, it can be a car, it could be money, it could be a building, it could be a boat. It can even be success or celebrity, and I don't just mean Hollywood, I mean being the big shot somewhere, okay? That all takes something away. It takes an effort. We're constantly slaving to those things we're cleaning them we're maintaining them repairing them storing them there's an endless stream of things we need to do that enslave us to these things that we think we want and anybody who owns a boat would know that okay or even your car you got to wash it and vacuum it and it breaks down and so all these things take immense maintenance Okay, and that's especially true for, say, the Michael Jacksons of the world. Okay, they need constant maintenance. They got to stay on top. They always need another hit. They need uh, they need to have that star power. And what happens? They kill themselves over it. They can't they can't stand it because as soon as they're out of the limelight, they just shrivel up. There's nothing left. Again, there's no intrinsic value. The value's all been given to them by people. So when they stop having that star power, and nobody's giving them any more, they, they, they spiral and they crash. Because, again, it has, it has no real value. It's all been man-made. It's hollow. It fades. It shrivels up. You know, like the How, Howdy Doody show. Everybody, you know, years and years ago, there's probably a bunch of people that don't even know what it is, if you're younger. They... But that was the giant show. Everybody had to see Howdy Doody. And now, do you know anybody that runs home to make sure they catch an episode? That they don't miss any? Or listen to some of the old songs? They Again, it's temporary value. Has no staying power. But Jesus gives us, gives us a boost. He gives us a way up. He gives us an exit strategy out of this Cycle that we can get drawn into. So with that, let's spend a little time in Luke. Um, you can turn to that. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to start in chapter 5. If we turn to 5.11, we notice that the disciples did something a little different than what we usually do. They walked away from their, their things. It says in, in Luke 5.11, so they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Well, that's hard to do. You know, you just leave everything behind. That's the opposite of what I've been leading up to now. I've been, everything I've been talking about is where we're accumulating. They walked away from it all. So to show you how hard that is, if you, turn, if you just fast forward a little bit to um, 18, chapter 18, verse 28. And that's where we're going to hang around for a little bit. In 1828, Peter says, kind of in a doubtful way, he kind of says, we've left all to follow you, all. We left everything to follow you. Almost like he's saying, let us know why we did the right thing. Why, why was that a smart move? And in the next verse, Jesus replies, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. That's pretty heavy duty. I mean, think about it. it says no one who's left behind everything, home, family, everything that they hold dear, they've walked away from it all. God God's saying, if you do that, you don't fail to receive many times that. That's, that's pretty heavy duty. And then Jesus gets even a little harsh. I'm going to explain it. If you go to um, Luke chapter 9, verse 59... Jesus says, he said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's almost mean. You know, think about it. Let the, bed, the dead go bury their own dead. That, I mean, that's harsh. Especially considering, you know, this is somebody who just passed away. He just lost his father. He's saying, forget them. But I don't think Jesus intends to be mean there. I think what he's doing is expressing that it's urgent. It's, it's, it's critical. It's important. You know, almost like telling somebody to get out of the street. There's a runaway car coming. You don't, you don't politely say things. You, you yell, yeah, run, look out, get out of there. You wouldn't say, well, excuse me, I didn't startle you, did I? Do you realize you're in imminent danger? You wouldn't say that to a person who's, you know, in the way of a a car. And I think that's what Jesus is telling us. He's urgent. Jesus is saying, run. Don't walk, run. So, I was also thinking about, other than being urgent, I think what Jesus is also telling us is, or the reason he tells us the things the way he tells us is, remember, the Bible's timeless, right? It's, it's the word of God. It's around forever. So it's got to be put in terms that can apply to all the ages. And what might be well understood today, maybe very politely, might not have been understood in less civil times, like the Middle Ages or the Vikings, Okay. Can you imagine if Jesus was talking a very eloquent, polite speech to a Viking? I mean they're gnawing on a on a turkey leg they're not they're not going to listen so Jesus has to phrase things that are understood across time across all cultures, whether they be harsh or humble you know violent or calm He's got to say things that hit home and and Unfortunately, things like saying "well, let the dead bury their own dead" that that's a wake, that wakes you up. You know, you pay attention to that. Now, today, I, I came across some things that some people have written that, that I think are very nicely said, and I, I think it makes the similar point, but says it a little differently. One said, "Desires dictate our priorities." Think about that. What we want dictates. What order we want them in, and then those priorities shape our choices. But most importantly, our actions display those priorities. So what we do is really a, a display of what we feel. Another writer says, how can we be truly happy if our beliefs and values are different than our actions? In other words, how can we think one thing and do another? How can our actions be different than our beliefs? But it happens. We believe one thing, we do something else. Because we forget. We get drawn in. We get obsessed. And One of my favorites here is, another writer says, the definition of failure is sacrificing what you want most so you can have what you want now. So think about that. You can have a long-term goal. You want to come to the Lord, and you're going to throw that away so you can have something today. Your desires are there. You're passionate today. You want something. You sacrifice the real goal. So what does this all lead up to? leads up to, again, where we internalize things. We bring things inward. We start thinking about me, 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 and my little world. And what happens is we can start to idolize ourselves. So we're not just idolizing things anymore and getting obsessed with things. We start getting obsessed with ourselves. And what happens? They build statues. You see this in China or Russia they got statues of Lenin or Chairman Mao big statues they do self-portraits the kings and emperors always have all these paintings made and they hang them up all around themselves alright so we get obsessed we get idolized with ourselves and don't think that's just days of old and kings and emperors today what happens all the kids on Facebook right they do the selfies Right, I think that's the lingo. What do they do? They 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 take a picture of themselves. This is me in front of the mirror. This is me in front of a different mirror. This is me with my new outfit, and and they do it over. And I'm not talking about the family photos, you know, the family at the picnic. I'm talking about every day. There's a new picture of them. You know, this is me outside. This is me inside. They they do it over. Those are right. Those are self portraits. Then they look at them. And then they. Hey, did you see my new picture? You know, and then they throw names on things. Like Iran, the supreme ruler, Ayatollah. He's supreme. Supreme of, I I don't know, all the other rulers, I guess. So that's what happens. We start to internalize. We start bringing it all in. Okay? But I want to qualify. Don't, Don't take this to mean you can't be proud of your family you can be proud of your children there's a big difference between selfish pride that self you know actualization is different than being truly excited about your kids or your family okay there's a difference between being a proud parent and saying my graduate you know and and getting those pictures and posting those are different that's that's you being very excited and feeling good about them that's that's not the same as an emperor having a picture of themselves hanging in the palace. Okay, Those aren't destructive pride, unlike the other type. And then even if it's not in pictures, it's in words, right? How many times they say, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? Of course, my standard answer all the time when I say that is I say, well, I don't know, does the traffic on 95 pull over and let you go by? (laughs) Probably not. I had a woman once, she called me up, and she didn't I don't even know why she called me, but she called me for someone else, like a friend of hers, and she says, before we even start talking, she says, I want you to know I have a master's degree in education. I said, Okay. And she goes, I want you to know I'm no dummy. I said, okay, I, I wouldn't use that word. But, you know, I always wonder, you know, kind of makes me think of the know-it-all, you know. Well, I know this, and I know a little bit about everything. And I always wonder, are they elevating themselves, or are they just kind of covering up for something? Are they really just really nervous? they are got to make sure you know they're important, that they know what they know. So I always wonder, is it, you know, is it really a cover-up? You know, or they'll get really expressive, you know, hey, I call the shots around here. It's all about me. I'm the one that makes these decisions. So instead of having all that, why don't we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll go to verse 6. You know, and this is where Paul... This is where Paul says pretty much the opposite of what I've been talking about. Verse 6 starts, Even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool. Like I said, God's warning us, don't be foolish. Because I would be speaking the truth, because the truth is yours, by refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Kind of the opposite of, do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, you don't have to tell people who you are. You don't have to idolize yourself. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul, I think, there really drives home exactly what I'm talking about. It's the opposite of the know-it-all who's trying to cover up an insecurity takes a lot of strength to be that humble to to be comfortable in weakness think about that you can be comfortable in strength when you're on top of the hill you can be comfortable with that but when you're in the ditch and everybody's walking over you it's hard to be strong and humble and and comfortable with that you can't you can't feel good about that Paul's saying if you're strong enough you can Now what's important is, and I think this is the people that those boasters don't realize, is personal influence is contained in a very small circle. Okay? In other words, the big boss at work is just a regular person outside of work. They're just another person, just another car on Route 95, or even a mayor or governor, okay? They might be a big deal in their little circle, Put them somewhere else. I mean, do you guys know the Governor of Wyoming or Kansas? Iowa? OK? So locally, everybody's going, Psst, that's the governor. Hey, that's the governor. I shook hands with the governor today. Put them in this room, they're just another person. They're just sitting here just like everybody else. So the reality of all that is they, they themselves are the same person in either place. They didn't change whether they're in Wyoming or here. They're the same person. But we're the one. The people are the ones that elevate them to something else. That's the governor. They, We elevate them. They, they can't elevate themselves. So just like we give them their importance, they can't take it from us either. It has to be... We have to willingly give it to people. We have to make... Things and people important. They can't take it. And that influence that they have is only in a little circle. Again, a little environment. Here's a, a visual. Okay. If Brad Pitt was here today, people would leave and they would say, "Hey, I met Brad Pitt at church. Really? What was it like? Tell me some more. Is, you know, did he tell you anything personal?" Now, if you leave here and you say, hey, you know, this guy Norman gave the service today, people go, okay, and I care why? So you see, Brad Pitt's more important because people are giving him that influence, and they know who he is. He's more popular than I am. So that's what makes him important. He's more popular. Or he's better known than I am. But let's zoom over to the Sahara Desert. Okay, so we're in the Sahara Desert, and we pluck down me and Brad Pitt in the Sahara Desert. Well, instantly, we're perfectly equal. No more Brad Pitt and me. We're equal. We sunburn the same way. We dehydrate at the same time. Okay? And the snakes and scorpions don't go, hey, that's Brad Pitt. Go after the nobody. (laughs) They don't care if they bite him or they bite me, it's all the same thing. All right, why? Because the snakes and scorpions aren't elevating Brad Pitt. They're not giving him something. His circle of influence is gone. Okay? That's my point, is again we give it. But God, God's everywhere special, whether it's here or Sahara Desert or anywhere, anywhere. There's no boundaries. God's circle of influence is infinity. You know, how big is God's house? You know, we think, hey, I gotta make mansion. You know? Not feeling so important. So let's turn to first Corinthians chapter one, which is one book backwards. And here again, Paul is saying to us, chapter 1, verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26, Paul says to us, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. This is important. Verse 27. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And I think about the celebrities, you know, the star power. What do they do? They have alcohol problems. They're speeding tickets. They get in a fight with the the police. They're arrested. You know, they shave their head. You know, there's an endless supply of things that God puts in front of them that they shame themselves. They, they stripped themselves of their own influence, their own glory. So Paul continues, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You know, and I think of things like the building that collapsed in, ba- in Bangladesh. Um, it was a garment factory that eight floors of building that collapsed, killed a thousand people. And why? Because the owner, who was a big shot, big deal, had all the connections and didn't need to use good materials, didn't need to meet building codes, didn't need to do anything. And literally the building shook itself apart. The machinery just shook the building until it collapsed. And now that person's arrested and in prison because they violated all that. Again, the circle of influence was great locally, but it wasn't great through the whole country. It wasn't great enough to get outside the law. It wasn't so great that a thousand people could be killed and it would be okay. So God chose the weak things of the world, like a building, to shame the strong, or at least the people who think they're strong. So in 28, God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. So again, it's all about that internal, you know, we got, we've got that internal stuff going on. and God strips it away. So the people who idolize themselves can't trust anything but themselves. They're consumed by conceit. But I think in reality what they are is they're consumed by fear. Because they they bring it all in and they they can't, again, it takes a lot of courage to lay in the ditch and be comfortable. It takes a lot less courage when you, you keep it close to yourself and you're in control of everything around you. So I think those idolizers are afraid. They're afraid to leave their their little sphere. So faith isn't for the weak. It takes a big person to be truly humble, to surrender. In, In Colossians we read, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And even further in Matthew, we hear, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So God's promising us, be humble, and you will receive peace and kindness and rest for your soul." So you know, is God for the weak or the strong? It's really both, right? It's strong strength through weakness. That's what Paul tells us. So God's for those who can lay down all things, including ourselves, who can lay down even ourselves to follow him. But that's always the last thing that we see ourselves doing, right? That's that's hard. That's that's something I... I, Take a long time to really get cozy with that. So if we go to Philippians... I know I bounce around a lot, but... I, I think this stuff makes the point. Philippians, which is right after Corinthians... Um, Philippians 2.7 and this I think really drives home the, the point here in Philippians 2.7 it says rather and it's talking about Jesus now okay talking about Jesus it says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant And being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And if you think about that, that's the ultimate humbleness. And while on the cross, in Luke, we hear Jesus say, Father, if you are willing, not because i want it if you are willing jesus says take this cup that's the cup of suffering jesus says, take this suffering from me yet not my will but yours be done and again that's that's all external there's nothing internal there for jesus that's all on the outside that's humbleness pouring out and just by those words, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Now, this type of total surrender, that's what sets you free. That's the freedom of the obsessions and the bondage of things and feelings. And, and Jesus did it. The, the shocking thing is Jesus did it not for himself. He did it for us. He, he became completely humble for us. So, like I've been saying, it takes a lot of courage to be able to lay ourselves down and lay aside our things and and again pull our boats on the shore and leave everything to follow him. That takes a lot of courage. It's incredible. And what it really does is is it takes a giant leap into faith. We gotta we gotta go head first right into faith. Again, that that um, requires a lot of effort and a lot of work. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for showing us your values so we aren't misled by our own values. It's hard. And we aren't strong. And few can lay down and, and follow you completely. We try. And we fail. And we try again. And too often we need to be reminded. But your word fills that need. And most of all, thank you for loving us without condition. Amen.